Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the award-winning Parareality Radio. Good evening, everybody. I'm Sandman, and I'm going to be your host for the next two hours. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Well, it is Monday, December the 1st, 2014, and of course that means it's time for another episode of Parareality Radio. Tonight on the Season 8 Finale... I'm going to be taking a look at the hidden history of the Christian religion, expose its background, and compare it to some of the most ancient religions in the world, which are in fact much older than Christianity itself. How did Christianity come to be? What is the basis behind it? Was there truly a Virgin Mary? Was Jesus Christ actually a real flesh and blood man who was the living embodiment of God himself? I'll be answering all of those questions and maybe a few more during this season 8 finale of Parareality Radio. I'll also be doing the final ever paranormal review and closing the show down with a couple of announcements and maybe a little bit of a sneak peek at what's going to lie ahead for season nine of Parareality Radio. Man, I can't believe that I've been doing this for eight seasons, eight years, closing in on the Big Ten. It's been a uh, long, strange at times ride. I enjoy doing this so much. It's been a, a huge part of my life for so long, and I really enjoy doing it. Even though I took a break for a couple of years, um, thought I was done forever, and uh, I just couldn't let go. So I had to come back and uh, do it some more. So I'm really excited to be starting nine seasons, to be ending eight seasons first of all, and then to be on the verge of starting nine. You just don't find that many uh, internet broadcasters such as myself who continue to do a show for longer than really at, at most maybe a couple of years. Uh, most don't even last that long. So I'm I'm very uh, 
privileged and, and, and blessed that I've been managed that I've managed to do the show for as long as I have and win, uh, some awards as well. So, um, I'll quit talking about it and I'll, uh, get into the show here in just a second. But as, as always, before I do, let me tell you how you can get in touch with me because if you've been listening to the show, any at all, you know, there are a few different ways that you can get in contact with me here on Parareality Radio. First of all, you can always send me an email. My email address is sandman at parareality.com. That's sandman at parareality.com. Or you can just go to my website, find my email link there. Uh, web address is www.parareality.com. I'm also available on Facebook. If you're like most of the rest of the world who has Facebook, just look for me there. That's sandman.parareality on Facebook. Sandman.parareality on Facebook. And finally, you can still call the studio line at 615-692-1170 and leave me a message. Just be aware that if you do leave a message that you are giving me consent to play your comments back on the show. I still keep that studio line up and active back from the days when I was doing live broadcasting instead of doing podcasting and, and uh, probably going to be bringing back the live shows here and there, if not more often. Um, but uh, I'll uh, make that announcement a little bit later on towards the end of the show. That number to call once again is area code... 615, then dial 692-1170. That number to call once again is 615-692-1170. Leave me a message. And you never know, I, I may also answer the phone as well because I'm always in the studio working on something to have to do with the show. So you just may catch me actually in the studio and you get a chance to speak to me live. You never know. You can always give it a shot. So, those are all the different ways you can get in touch with me, Sandman, here on Parareality Radio. Do a quick recap for you. Email me, sandman at parareality.com, or just visit the website to find my my uh, email address, which is parareality.com. Look me up on the good old Facebook. That's sandman.parareality there on Facebook. Or, as I just said about 20 times, you can call the studio line 615 615- Six nine two one one seven zero. Leave me a message, but be advised that by leaving a message, you're giving me your permission to play that message back on the show here on Parareality Radio. All right. So without further ado, let's get on with the season eight finale of Parareality Radio. Let's take a look at the history of the Christian religion. You know, I want to, but before I begin, I want to just do a little blanket statement here um, that I am not trying to offend anyone by doing this show. I am not trying to um, uh, sway anyone's religious beliefs. Uh, I'm not trying to um, deliberately 
um, um, say that uh, Christianity or the Christian religion is uh, evil or, or anything of that nature. What I'm doing is I'm taking a historical look at the history of Christianity and telling you where it came from and giving facts about this. I'm not giving just what my opinion is and that I want you to, to, you know, follow my opinion. That's not what I'm trying to do here in the past. When I've done, um, shows in December, which is when I see a season of Perry radio, first of all, I consider a season to be a calendar year from January to December. And usually since December is the, the month of, of Christmas and the biggest holiday of the year, traditionally what I have done is, uh, I, oops, hit my mic as the holiday approaches and, and I'm winding down whatever season it is that I'm doing of a Perry radio. Usually what I'll do is I'll do some sort of uh, show on the history of Christmas or Christianity, or take a look at some sort of uh, paranormal aspect of the holiday or, or something of that nature. And, um, done shows on religion before. And I, I try not to do too many shows like that because religion is such a touchy subject and it can get to be really controversial. And I know that what I'm about to present to you tonight is going to be a controversial topic. Um, once again, I, I do not do this for shock value. I do not do this to try to sway anyone's opinion or tell you that, uh, your belief system is wrong just because you don't subscribe to the same things that I do. I am doing this because I think that not many people know the true history of Christianity. And I think it's time that we take a look at this. So let's get on with it. Shall we, you know, when the more that you begin to investigate what we think we understand, where we come from, what we think we're doing, the more you begin to see that we've been lied to. We've been lied to by every institution. What makes you think that the religious institution is the only one that's never been touched? The religious institutions of this world are at the bottom of the dirt. The religious institutions in this world are put there by the same people who give you your government, your corrupt education, who set up your international banking cartels. Because our masters, don't, they don't give a damn about you or me or your family or my family. All they care about is what they've always cared about, and that's controlling basically the whole damn world. And what... We've been misled away from the true and divine presence in the universe that men have called God. Now, I don't profess to know what God is, but I know what he isn't. And unless and until you are prepared to look at the whole truth, 
wherever it may go, whoever it may lead to, if you want to look the other way or if you want to play favorites, then somewhere along the line, you're going to find out that you're messing with divine justice. The more you educate yourself, the more you understand where things come from, the more obvious things become and you begin to see the lies that are everywhere. You have to know the truth and seek the truth and the truth will set you free. Because I got to tell you the truth, folks. I got to tell you the truth. When it comes to bullshit, big time major league bullshit, you have to stand in awe of the all-time champion of false promises and exaggerated claims, and that's religion. Think about this. Religion has actually convinced people that there's an invisible man living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day. And the invisible man has a special list of 10 things that he doesn't want you to do. And if you do any of these 10 things, then he's got a special place that's full of fire, smoke, and burning, and torture, and anguish. That's where he'll send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time. Amen. But he loves you. He loves you, and he needs your money. He always needs your money. He's all-powerful, all-perfect, all-knowing, all-wise, but somehow he just can't seem to handle his money. Religion takes in billions of dollars every year, but they don't pay any taxes. But yet somehow they always need a little bit more of our money. Kind of strange, isn't it? Now you talk about a good bullshit story. Holy shit, that's a good bullshit story, right? So let's let's take a look at religion as as Christianity is concerned. Let's look at this. Let's start off with the sun. That big orange glowing ball in the sky that provides us light and heat. Okay, so the sun dates back as far as, well, that there's been a galaxy. As far back as 10,000 BCE, and that stands for Before Current Era, history is abundant with carvings and writings reflecting people's respect and adoration for the sun. And it's simple to understand why every morning the sun would rise, bringing like I said, light and warmth and security, saving mankind from the cold and the, the blind, predator-filled darkness of night. Without it, the cultures understood that the crops wouldn't grow, that life on the planet wouldn't survive. These realities made the sun the most adored project of all time. And likewise, they were also very aware of the stars. The tracking of the stars allowed them to recognize and anticipate events which occurred over long periods of time, like uh, eclipses, full moons, stuff like that. And in turn, they cataloged celestial groups into what we know today as constellations. Our forefathers, our ancestors, 
were very smart people. They might not have had all the modern technology and tools that we have today, but they were very, very intelligent. And they knew about astrology and they knew about astronomy especially. So let's look at the cross of the Zodiac, one of the oldest conceptual images in human history. It reflects the sun as it figuratively passes through the 12 major constellations over the course of a year, right? It also reflects the 12 months of the year, the four seasons and the solstices and the equinoxes. As a matter of fact, the term Zodiac relates to the fact that constellations were anthropomorphized or personified as figures or animals. In other words, the early civilizations, they didn't just follow the sun and the stars, they personified them with elaborate myths involving their movements and relationships. The sun, with its life-giving and life-saving qualities, was personified as a representative of the unseen creator, or God, for lack of a better word. It was known as God's son, not S-O-N, but S-U-N, God's son, the light of the world, the savior of humankind. Likewise, the 12 constellations represented places of travel for God's son, and they were identified by names usually representing elements of nature that happened during that period of time. For example, Aquarius, the water bearer who brings the spring rains, right? Okay, so we talked about the sun. Let's talk about Horus. Horus is the sun god of Egypt. He dates back from around 3000 BC, give or take a little bit. He's the sun Anthropomorphized, and his life is a series of allegorical myths involving the sun's movement in the sky. From the ancient hieroglyphics in Egypt, we know much about this solar messiah. For instance, Horus, being the sun or the light, had an enemy known as Set, and Set was the personification of darkness or night. And metaphorically speaking, every morning, Horus would win the battle against Set, while in the evening Set would conquer Horus and send him into the underworld. It's important to note that dark versus light, or good versus evil, is one of the most ubiquitous mythological dualities ever known, and still expressed on many levels to this day. Broadly speaking here, the story of Horus is like this. Horus was born on December 25th of the Virgin Isis Mary. His birth was accompanied by a star in the east, which in turn three kings followed to locate and adorn the newborn Savior. At the age of 12, he was a prodigal child teacher, and at the age of 30, he was baptized by a figure known as and thus began his ministry. Horus had 12 disciples, which he traveled around with, performing miracles like healing the sick and walking on water and stuff like that. Horus was known by many uh, names such as the truth, the light, God's anointed son, the good shepherd, the lamb of God, and many other names which are very similar to what Jesus Christ was known as. After being betrayed by Typhon, Horus was crucified 
buried for three days, and then resurrected. That sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? And we're talking about a a story that was taking place thousands of years before the story of Jesus Christ. These attributes of Horus, whether original or not, seem to permeate in many cultures of the world. There are many other gods that are found to have the same general mythological structure as this. Here's just a few examples. Addis of Phrygia was born of the virgin Nana on December 25th, crucified, placed in a tomb, and after three days was resurrected. Krishna of India was born of the virgin Devaki and, uh, with a star in the east signaling his coming, performed miracles with his disciples, and upon his death was resurrected. Dionysus of Greece was born of a virgin on December 25th, was a traveling teacher who performed miracles like turning water into wine. He was also referred to as the King of Kings, God's only begotten Son, the Alpha and Omega, and many other things like that. And upon his death, he was resurrected. Mithra of Persia was born of a virgin on December 25th. He had 12 disciples, he performed miracles, and upon his death he was buried for three days and resurrected. He was also referred to as the truth, the light, and many other names. Interestingly, the sacred day of worship of Mithra was Sunday. Look at all of these coincidences, would you say? The fact of the matter is that there are numerous saviors from different periods from all over the world which subscribe to these general characteristics. The question remains, why these attributes? Why the virgin birth on December 25th? Why dead for three days and the inevitable resurrection? Why twelve disciples? To find out, let's examine the most recent of the solar messiahs. Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary on December 25th in Bethlehem. His birth was announced by a star in the east with three kings or magi. They followed this star to locate and adorn the new savior. He was a child teacher at the age of 12. By the age of 30, he was baptized by John the Baptist and thus began his ministry. Jesus had 12 disciples, which he traveled about with, performing miracles such as healing the sick, walking on water, raising the dead, and so forth and so on. He was known as the King of Kings, the Son of God, the Light of the World, the Alpha and Omega, the Lamb of God, and many others. After being betrayed by his disciple, Judas, and sold for 30 pieces of silver, he was crucified, placed in a tomb, and after three days was resurrected and ascended into heaven. Boy, all that sounds familiar, just like some of the other stuff that I was just talking about, doesn't it? Well, first of all, the birth sequence is completely astrological. The star in the east is Sirius, the brightest star in the night sky, which on December 24th, 
aligns with the three brightest stars in Orion's belt. These three bright stars are called today what they were called in ancient times, the Three Kings. The Three Kings and the brightest star, Sirius, all point to the place of sunrise on December 25th. This is why the Three Kings follow the star in the east in order to locate the sunrise, the birth of the sun. The Virgin Mary is the constellation Virgo, also known as Virgo the Virgin. Virgo in Latin means virgin. The ancient glyph for Virgo is the altered M, the weird-looking pitchfork-like, upside-down pitchfork M with what I call like the devil's tail or whatever on the end of it. This is why Mary, along with other virgin mothers such as Adonis' mother, uh, Myra, or Buddha's mother, Maya, began with an M. Virgo is also referred to as the house of bread, and the representation of Virgo is a virgin holding a, a wheat stalk. This house of bread and its symbol is what represents August and September, the time of the harvest. In turn, Bethlehem, in fact, literally translates to house of bread. Bethlehem is a reference to the constellation Virgo, a place in the sky, not here on earth. There's another very interesting phenomenon that occurs around December 25th, or the winter solstice. From the summer solstice to the winter solstice, the days become shorter and colder. From the perspective of the northern hemisphere, the sun appears to move south and get smaller and more scarce. The shortening of the days and the expiration of the crops when approaching the winter solstice symbolized the process of death to our ancestors. It was the death of the sun. By December 22nd, the sun's demise was fully realized because the sun, having moved south continually for six months, made its way to its lowest point in the sky. Now, here's where a really curious thing happens. The sun stops moving south, at least perceivably, for three days. During this three-day period, the sun resides in the vicinity of the Southern Cross, or Crux constellation. After this time, on December 25th, the sun moves one degree, but this time north, which foreshadows longer days, warmth, and spring. And therefore it was said... The sun died on the cross, was dead for three days, only to be resurrected or born again. This is why Jesus and numerous other sun gods share the crucifixion, the three-day death, and the resurrection concept. It's the sun's transition period before it shifts its direction back into the northern hemisphere, bringing spring and thus salvation. However, 
they didn't celebrate the resurrection of the sun until the spring equinox or Easter. This is because at the spring equinox, the sun officially overpowers the evil darkness and daytime therefore becomes longer in duration than the night and the revitalizing conditions of spring emerge. Now, probably the most obvious of all the astrological symbolism around Jesus regards the 12 disciples, and it's really quite simple to figure this out. The 12 disciples are simply the 12 constellations of the Zodiac, which Jesus, being the sun, travels about with. So that's pretty easy, pretty self-explanatory. In fact, the number 12 is it's replete throughout the Bible. This text has more to do with astrology than anything else. This Bible. Coming back to the cross of the zodiac, the, the figurative life of the sun, this wasn't just an artistic expression or tool to track the sun's movements. It was also a pagan spiritual symbol. This is not a symbol of Christianity. It's a pagan adaptation of the cross of the Zodiac. This is why Jesus in early occult art is always shown with his head on the cross. Because Jesus is the Son, the Son of God, the S-U-N of God. The light of the world, the risen Savior who will come again as it does every morning. The glory of God who defends against the works of darkness as he is born again every morning and can see. He can be seen coming in the clouds up in heaven with his crown of thorns or sun rays. Now the many astrological, astronomical metaphors in the Bible, the one most important has to do with the ages. Throughout the scripture, there are numerous references to the quote-unquote age. In order to understand this, we need to be familiar with the phenomenon known as the procession of the equinoxes. The ancient Egyptians, along with cultures long before them, recognized that approximately every 2,150 years, the sunrise on the morning of the spring equinox would occur at a different sign of the zodiac. This has to do with a slow, angular wobble that the earth maintains as it rotates on its axis. It's called a procession because the constellations go backwards rather than through the normal yearly cycle. The amount of time that it takes for the procession to go through all 12 signs is, roughly speaking, about 25,765 years. This is also called the Great Year, and our ancient ancestors were very aware of this. They referred to each 2,150-year period as an age. From 4300 B.C. to 2150 B.C., it was the age of Taurus, the bull. From 2150 B.C. to 1 A.D., it was the age of Aries, the ram. And from 1 A.D. to 2150 A.D., it's the age of Pisces, the age we are still in right now to this day. And sometime around 2150, we're going to enter 
the next stage, the new age, the age of Aquarius. Got a little drink there. So the Bible reflects, broadly speaking, a symbolic movement through three ages while foreshadowing the fourth. In the Old Testament, when Moses comes down Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, he's very upset because he sees his people worshiping a golden uh, bull calf. In fact, he shattered the stone tablets and instructed his people to kill each other in order to purify themselves. Most biblical scholars would attribute this anger to the fact that the Israelites were worshiping a false idol or, or something to that effect. The reality is that the golden bull is Taurus the bull, and Moses represents the new age of Ares the ram. This is why Jews, even today, still blow the ram's horn. Moses represents the new age of Ares, and upon this new age, everyone must shed the old age, right? Other deities mark these transitions as well, a pre-Christian god who kills the bull and the same symbology. Jesus, he is the figure who ushers in the age following Ares, the age of Pisces, the two fish. Fish symbolism is very abundant in the New Testament because Jesus is known as the great fisherman. He feeds 5,000 people with bread and two fish. When he begins his ministry walking along Galilee, he befriends two fishermen who in turn follow him. The Pope's mitre or, or hat, that big white thing that he wears on top of his head, is incontrovertibly a fish head that represents Pisces. And I think we've all seen the Jesus fish on the back of people's cars and stuff. Well, people don't really realize what it actually means. It's a pagan astrological symbolism for the sun's kingdom during the age of Pisces. Also, Jesus' assumed birth date is essentially the start of this age. Now, you'll see the Jesus fish on cars and all that sorts of stuff. And people say, oh, it was... Uh, when uh, Christianity was uh, outlawed or when it was illegal to practice Christianity or people were afraid to be Christians, the fish was a secret symbol that uh, this was a safe place. This was a place of Christian worship or you could come here and, and, and uh, worship with other Christians or whatever. But actually, it's this pagan astrological symbol. Now, if you look into the Bible, in Luke chapter 22, verse 10, when Jesus is asked by his disciples where the next Passover will be after he's gone, Jesus replies like this, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. Now, this scripture is by far one of the most revealing of all the astrological references. The man bearing a pitcher of water is obviously 
Aquarius, the water bearer, who's always pictured as a man pouring out a pitcher of water. He represents the age after Pisces, and when the sun, God's sun, leaves the age of Pisces, i.e. Jesus, it will go into the house of Aquarius, as Aquarius follows Pisces in the procession of the equinoxes. Also, Jesus is saying that after the age of Pisces will come the age of Aquarius. Now, we've all heard about the end times and the end of the world. Apart from the, the cartoonish depictions in the book of Revelation, the main source of this idea comes from Matthew 28, chapter 28, verse 20, where Jesus says, I will be with you even to the end of the world. However, in the, King's, in the King James Version of the Bible, world is a mistranslation, among many other mistranslations, actually. The actual word being used is aeon, A-E-O-N, aeon, which means age. I will be with you even to the end of the age, is what it should translate as, which is true, as Jesus' solar Piscean personification will basically end when the sun enters the age of Aquarius. The entire concept of end times and the end of the world is basically what's a misinterpreted astrological allegory. Let's tell that to the approximately 100 million people in America who believe the end of the world is coming and see what they say. Maybe you're one of them. I don't know. Furthermore, the character of Jesus, a literary and astrological hybrid, is most explicitly a plagiarization of the Egyptian sun god Horus, which I had talked about a little while ago. For example, inscribed about 3,500 years ago, on the walls of the Temple of Luxor in Egypt are images of the Annunciation, the Immaculate Conception, the Birth, and the Adoration of Horus. Actually, it's probably a little over 3,500 years when I come to think about it. The images begin with Thaw announcing to the Virgin Isis that she will conceive Horus, then Neph, the Holy Ghost, impregnating the Virgin, and then the Virgin Birth and the Adoration. This is exactly the story of Jesus' miracle conception. In fact, the literary similarities between Horus and Jesus are they're really absolutely staggering. And this plagiarism is continuous. Another example here, the story of Noah and Noah's Ark is taken directly from tradition. The concept of a great flood is ubiquitous throughout the ancient world with over 200 different sided claims in different periods and times. 200. However, you don't need to look any further for a pre-Christian source than the Epic of Gilgamesh, which was written in 2600 BC. Now this story, to just break it down into the, the KISS method, to keep it simple, stupid, right? Um, this story um, talks about a great flood 
commanded by God, an ark with saved animals on it, and even the release and the return of a dove is all held in common with the biblical story among many other similarities. Now, the Epic of Gilgamesh, if you are a Sitchinite or an ancient astronaut theorist uh, familiar with the works of the late great Zechariah Sitchin, may he rest in peace, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. This goes hand in hand with the uh, uh, tales of ancient Sumeria and the Anunnaki, translated those who uh, from heaven to earth came. Excuse me, got to get another drink there. Uh, which basically the ancient Sumerian civilization sprang forth in what is now Iraq and Iran area uh, in the Fertile Crescent. Yes, the, uh, one of the first civilizations, if not the first civilization uh, on the face of the planet. They had their own writing. They developed their own form of, uh, it's called cuneiform script, which was basically... Uh, Symbols impressed in clay tablets and soft clay tablets. Um, they believe, or their stories go, that uh, we were created by the Anunnaki, which translated as those who from heaven to earth came. The Anunnaki were from another planet, planet Nibiru or planet X. And they basically uh, manipulated the, G, the DNA of Cro-Magnon man, mixed it with their own and formed slaves, that's what we are, that's what we were made to be, was slaves for the Anunnaki to mine gold. And the the gods are the Anunnaki from planet Nibiru. And so um, Zechariah Sitchin is one of the only few people, was one of the only few people in the world who could read and translate cuneiform script. And he had uh, over a dozen or maybe right at a dozen or so best-selling books, um, basically translating these cuneiform scripts and telling the story of ancient Sumeria and the Anunnaki. So anyway, I kind of uh, digress there. So it, let's get back to what I was talking about. So now you, you, you've got the story of uh, Jesus You've got the story of Noah's Ark and the Flood. And here comes the plagiarized story of Moses. So the story of Moses goes something like this. Upon Moses' birth, it's said that he was placed in a reed basket and set adrift in a river in order to avoid infanticide or him being murdered. He was later rescued by a daughter of royalty and raised by her as a prince. This baby-in-a-basket story was actually delifted directly from the myth of Sargon of Akkad around 2250 B.C. Sargon was born, placed in a reed basket in order to avoid infanticide, and set adrift in a river. He was in turn rescued and raised by Aki, a royal midwife. Furthermore, Moses is known as the lawgiver, the giver of of the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law. However, this idea of a law being passed down from God to a prophet on a mountain is also a very old motive. Moses 
is just a lawgiver in a long line of lawgivers in mythological history. For example, in India, Manu was the great lawgiver. In Crete, Minos ascended Mount Dicta, where he, uh, where Zeus gave him the sacred laws. And then you have Egypt, where Mises, who carried stone tablets, and upon them the laws of God were written. And as far as the Ten Commandments go, they're actually taken outright from spell 125 of the Egyptian Book of the Dead. You don't believe me? Here's what some of the things in the Egyptian Book of the Dead say. What, what, the, what, the, what the Book of the Dead phrased, I have not stolen, became, thou shalt not steal. What the Egyptian Book of the Bed, Dead said, I have not killed, became, thou shalt not kill. In the Egyptian Book of the Dead, there's a phrase that says, I have not told lies. This becomes in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not bear false witness, and so forth. If you don't believe me, go look at the Egyptian Book of the Dead and compare some of the things that it says to... Oh, there's my creepy clock. You can compare some of the things that it says compared to what is said in the Ten Commandments. In fact, the Egyptian religion is likely the primary foundational basis for the Judeo-Christian theology. Baptism afterlife, final judgment, virgin birth and resurrection, crucifixion, the Ark of the Covenant, circumcision, saviors, holy communion, the great flood, Easter, Christmas, Passover, and many, many more are all attributes of Egyptian ideas long created in Christianity and Judaism. Justin Martyr one of the first Christian historians and defenders wrote this. When we say that he, Jesus Christ, our teacher, was produced without sexual union, was crucified and died and rose again and ascended into heaven, we propound nothing different from what you believe regarding those you esteemed scions of Jupiter. In a different writing, he said, quote, he was born of a virgin, except this in common with what you believe of Perseus. It's obvious that Justin Martyr and other early Christians knew how slimmer Christianity was to the pagan religions. However, Justin had a solution. As far as he was concerned, the devil did it. The devil had the foresight to come before Christ and create these characteristics in the pagan world. That was how he explained it. So, what is the Bible then? What are the stories in the Bible? What do they mean? Well, the Bible is nothing more than an astro-theological literary fold hybrid, just like nearly all religious myths before it. In fact, the aspect of transference of one's character's attributes to a new character 
can be found within the book itself. In the Old Testament, there's a story of Joseph. Joseph was the prototype of Jesus, if you will. Joseph was born of a miracle birth. Jesus was born of a miracle birth. Joseph had 12 brothers. Jesus had 12 disciples. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver, and Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver, 10 pieces more expensive. Brother Judah suggests the sale of Joseph, and disciple Judas suggests the sale of Jesus. Joseph began his work at the age of 30. Jesus began his work at the age of 30. The parallels go on and on. And they're right there in the book. Old Testament and New Testament. Right there in black and white for you to read. Furthermore, is there any non-biblical historical evidence of any person living with the name Jesus, the son of Mary, who traveled about with 12 followers, healing people, and stuff like that. There, there are numerous historians who lived in and around the Mediterranean either during or soon after the assumed life of Jesus Christ. How many of these historians document this figure? Not one. However, to be fair, that doesn't mean defenders of the historical Jesus haven't claimed the contrary. Four historians are typically referenced to justify Jesus' existence. Pilney the Younger, Suetonius, Tacticus, and the, the, the first three, whatever that means. I'm just reading to you what I found out. Each one of their entries consists of only a few sentences at best and only refer to the Christus or the Christ, which in fact isn't really a name, but it's a title. It means the anointed one. The fourth source is Josephus, and this source has been proven to be a forgery for hundreds of years. Sadly, though, it's still cited as a truth. You'd think that a guy who rose from the dead and ascended into heaven for all eyes to see and performed all of these miracles that are attributed to him would have made it into the historical record, wouldn't you? I mean, it, it didn't. Because once the evidence is weighed, there are really very high odds that the figure known as Jesus may not have even existed at all. And if he did, if he was just a man, which I believe in the existence of Jesus Christ, okay? Um, but I think he was just a, a man. He was a very extraordinary man, a very special man. But I don't know that he was the son of God. And really, neither does anyone else. And when you ask a Christian that, they'll say, oh, you take it on faith. Well, you need to look up the definition of the word faith, buddy. You know, and I'm just going to leave that at that. I'm not going to get into that anymore. 
So what is the Christian religion then? Well, the Christian religion is a parody on the worship of the Son, in which they put a man called Christ in the place of the Son, and they pay him the adoration that was originally paid to the Son. Now, I don't want to be unkind, but I want to be factual. I don't want to cause hurt feelings, but I want to be academically correct in what I understand and know to be true. Christianity just isn't based on the truth. If you look, you'll find, if you look deep enough, you'll find that Christianity was in fact nothing more than a Roman story developed politically. The reality is Jesus was the solar deity of the Gnostic Christian sect. And like all other pagan gods, he might have been probably a mythical figure. And when I say mythical figure, I don't mean necessarily that he did not exist. I mean that he was a mythical figure in the fact of what he was able to do. His powers are mythical. It was the political establishment that sought to historize the Jesus figure for social control. By 325 AD in Rome, Emperor Constantine convened the Council of Nicaea, and it was during this meeting that the politically motivated Christian doctrines were established and thus began a long history of Christian bloodshed and spiritual fraud. And for the next 1600 years, the Vatican maintained a political stranglehold on all of Europe, leading to such joyous periods like the Dark Ages, along with enlightening events such as the Crusades and the Inquisition. Of course, I'm being facetious, obviously, when I say stuff like that. So Christianity, along with all other theistic belief systems, is the fraud of the age. It served to detach the species from the natural world and likewise each other. It supports blind submission to authority. I'm going to get a little drink on that because my throat is dry. So, in conclusion here, as I wind up this special look at the history of the Christian religion and have revealed to you a lot of its uh, hidden truth, truths, secrets, and so forth. What am I going to... What? What's my conclusion on all this? What would, what would you think that I would say? Well, I can sit here for, I don't know, 10 or 15 seconds in silence and try and let you determine what I would say and yell it back to your computer, but uh, I would never hear it. So here we go. This is, this is my conclusion here. This is what I think. Religion can never reform mankind because religion is a form of slavery. It reduces human responsibility to the effect that God controls everything and in turn awful crimes can be justified in the name of divine pursuit. And most importantly, it empowers those who know the truth 
but used the myth to manipulate and control societies. The religious myth is the most powerful device that's ever been created and serves as the psychological soil upon which other myths can flourish. A myth is an idea that, while widely believed, is false. In a deeper sense, in the religious sense, a myth serves as an orienting and mobilizing story for people. The focus isn't really on the story's relation to reality, but rather on its function. It's not a matter of debate that some people have had uh, the bad taste to raise the question of the truth of sacred story. The keepers of the faith won't enter into the debate with them. They ignore them or denounce them as blasphemers because when you take a look at it, which is really more likely to have happened, and you've got to look at the realm, like I like to tell people all the time, you have to look at possibilities and probabilities. Is it possible that there is this invisible, all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing being in the sky who just was and created his living flesh and blood, the embodiment of himself here on earth, created Jesus Christ and let him perform all these miracles, bread and you know, uh, water into wine and 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 feeding people on two loaves of, or a loaf of bread and two fish and walking on water, healing the sick, raising the dead, and then let his son, his flesh and blood creation of himself, be sold, beaten, crucified, and die on the cross in a horrible, horrible manner to absolve us of our sins. Is it possible? And, and then that embodiment of himself, Jesus Christ, was resurrected, came back to life, and ascended physically, not spiritually, but physically, the only person to ever do this now, physically ascend into heaven. Is it possible? Well, yes, it is possible. Anything is possible. But is it probable? Does it really make sense, logically? Is there any probability that this could happen? Well, probably not. And that is all that I have to say about it my friends, is that it probably did not happen because statistically, when you just look at it and when you logically think about it and you use your own brain, it just doesn't make sense and it probably never happened. And then you have to look at all the evidence that I just presented to you and all the similarities between the Christian religion and all of these quote-unquote pagan religions that came thousands of years before it, it's just not looking too good for the to make the case of Christianity. And I'm sorry, but that's just how I that's just that's just the way that I see it. You don't have to agree with me, and that's fine. You can uh, feel free to disagree all that you want. Send me an email. Let me know what you think if you disagree or if you agree. PR, or excuse me, Sandman at, at parareality.com. I was about to give my old email address. 
Sandman at parareality.com. Call the studio line, 615-692-1170. Leave me a message. Hit me up on Facebook, sandman.parareality. Let me know what you think about What's your view on religion? What's your view on all the evidence that I have just presented to you? What do you think about that? Well, that is the first hour of the show done and gone. I'm going to take a little break here and let you listen to some Christmas music, traditional Christmas music for Parareality Radio. Traditionally, here on the show, I've had two, count them, one, two Christmas songs that I play every Christmas season. And uh, this is the first one. It is called uh, Christmas Night of Zombies. So listen to this. I'll be back and uh, we're going to do the paranormal review when I get back. So uh, enjoy this and I'll see you in a minute. This is Parareality Radio, your information source for all things paranormal. Join your host Sandman and his roster of special guests, experts, and experiencers as they explore the realms of the known and the unknown. New shows broadcast the first Monday of every month at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Listen online at parareality.com. Turn on. Tune in and find out.
next time, It is time to do the final ever paranormal review. Yes, that's right. I am going to discontinue the paranormal review after this season. Going to try and get a little something different going on with this show here. Um, don't know exactly what I'm going to replace it with just yet, but I am going to replace the paranormal review with something because, let's face it, you can't keep doing all of these reviews of these paranormal shows, even though it seems like there are you know, new ones cropping up every month here and there on different channels. But, you know, it just kind of gets to be kind of old and repetitive after a little while, and you just can't keep doing reviews of these shows. Because, number one, I can't watch them all because there's so damn many. And number two, like I said, it just... it gets boring after a while because you kind of are reviewing the same material because there's just, let's face it, there's only probably a, a handful, maybe four or five shows that are original and then everybody else just copies them. It's a different show, same concept, same um way of going about things all the ghost hunting shows it seems like are you know a crew of four or five people who go in with a camera crew and and then they do the little interview snippets here and there the cryptozoology shows seems like the the things that they're doing now are the the hillbilly hick teams who have specialty members the the security person the team leader the trap builder the rookie you know it it's just it's the same show over and over and over again, just different title, different characters. So you can't keep doing this same old review of these same tired old shows. Now, I will admit that they are, most of them anyway, are entertaining, at least as far as I'm concerned. But it's just it just gets old and boring talking about basically the same old thing over and over again. So this is going to be the final paranormal review here on Parareality Radio. And I've had people ask me, why haven't you done a review of Ghost Hunters yet? Because that's basically the one that started it all, right? Well, I kind of wanted to do some other shows first and I just kept pushing it back and pushing it back. And finally, I'm looking around, I'm like, hey, I'm doing the last paranormal review ever here and I have yet to review the original the one that started it all in my opinion anyway Ghost Hunters on the Sci-Fi channel so that's what I'm going to review tonight Ghost Hunters the the original paranormal television show now it stars uh, Jason Hawes Steve Gonzalez and a host of other characters um Dave Tango, Amy Bruni, um, uh, Britt Griffith or Griffin. I can't remember what is, if it's Griffin or Griffith. Um, and, uh, I can't remember what, uh, 
Jason Hawes' daughter is. Well, I'll just call her a little girl Hawes or whatever. But uh, <clears throat> Joe has been on for 10 seasons. And it is, as I've said many times, not just here in the last five minutes, but over the years, this is the show that started the paranormal television show craze. This is the original one that started it all. Uh, they've changed the entire cast along the way, with the exception of uh, Jason Hawes and Steve Gonzalez. Everybody else has changed. Um, the two main characters that started out, Jason Hawes and Grant Wilson, were the two founding members of the Atlantic Paranormal Society, a.k.a. TAPS. And the premise of the show was these two guys are plumbers, and by day and at night and on the weekends, they investigate paranormal activity. And I'll have to admit that the first few seasons of the show, in my opinion, were probably the best because they were investigating houses, homes of normal, ordinary, everyday people like you and me. And it was before they started investigating all these famous places, these public haunted places and stuff. I don't know why they felt like they started having to do that exclusively. I guess the um, investigation of, of private residences wasn't flashy enough for them. Um, I don't know. Maybe they started getting more and more as the show grew in popularity. Maybe they started getting more and more calls from public places and famous or semi-famous places wanting to, you know, generate publicity for themselves. Maybe that's, I don't know. I don't know how that's, how that's working or why it's working like that, but that's the direction the show's taken the last several seasons. Anyway, it also, um, dealt a lot more in the, in the first handful of seasons with the interpersonal relationships of the, the crew members, their families, um, course there was always controversy with uh, Brian Harnois who apparently is mentally unstable in my opinion anyway if you've ever read anything about him uh, uh, in the years since he got booted off the TV show you know that this guy is just uh, always mixed up in something that's not quite legal he's always trying to defraud people he's been in trouble I don't know how many times for um, alleged defrauding of people or frauding people excuse me um he's pulled numerous stunts about trying to kill himself and disappearing and this that and the other he's just a very um messed up individual and i have absolutely no sympathy for him whatsoever because he brought all this onto himself anyway the the first four or five seasons were the best because that's what they did was it they dealt with it showed them dealing with each other and their families and you know some of their not their personal lives or anything but it had more of an inside glimpse of their personal lives and then it kind of changed and they started uh, getting rid of people and bringing in new cast members and some of them were really good some of them weren't um chris williams i loved her she was very good um people that I don't like. I don't like the Britt Griffith guy. Um, as a matter of fact, every time I see him 
on my TV screen, I have my own little chant for him, which is Brit, Brit, piece of shit. I guess I just, I don't, I just don't like his character. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't, nothing against the guy. Just, he, he gets on my nerves. Um, I think he, the way that he's always, oh, look at that. And he's always running off into the darkness like he's a big bad guy. He, I, you're not seeing anything. You're doing this for the cameras. That's my personal opinion. I, you know, I don't, I don't like that. Um, anyway, Ghost Hunters was the show that started it all, the original. Sci-fi had this great idea. Actually, it wasn't sci-fi's idea. It was the baby of Grant Wilson and Jason Hawes. And they approached somebody, I guess Craig Pilligan at Pilligan Films, who in turn approached sci-fi with this. And it was a brilliant idea. The concept was really simple. You take these two ordinary, everyday plumbers who have a hobby of paranormal investigation, and you follow them around as they investigate these things. You do it with a camera crew and some uh, night vision and show how they go about investigating the paranormal and show the evidence. And the first few seasons, sometimes they got stuff. Most of the time, it wasn't. It was something that could be explained away pretty easily. And now that it's shifted to everything's a ghost now, just about it. You know, it's it's kind of funny to see the progression of that. Ratings, you think, has something to do with it? Probably so. But the concept was was very simple. And they were originally only signed to do six episodes. Only six. And ten years later, ten seasons, here they are, over a hundred episodes in. And it is the one that started the great paranormal TV to paranormal reality TV craze because it was such a huge success. And I followed the show. I've seen probably 99% of the episodes over the last 10 seasons. Um, the last couple of seasons, I will have to admit, uh, actually probably the last three seasons, I haven't been as into it as what I used to be um, simply because it's, it's getting repetitive, tired, and boring, same old stuff, and they're just doing nothing but investigating famous public places that are supposedly haunted. I'd like to see them get more into investigating private residences. Um, However, since the departure of Grant Wilson a couple of seasons ago, um, they have changed a little bit of the format of the show. Jason gets involved more into a narrative aspect of it now. I like the fact that Steve has stepped up and uh, assumed the second-in-command role. Um, He is very much a personality like mine. He's very serious uh, when it comes to doing his his quote-unquote job, but at the same time, he likes to have fun, and he jokes around and, and has a good time, and that's very much how I am, and I've always liked the Steve Gonzalez character. I thought he's, I keep saying character, I guess they're being themselves, but I've always liked Steve Gonzalez. He's always been my favorite go-to ghost hunter, if you will, on the show. And if he ever decides to leave the show, I'll probably stop watching it. As a matter of fact, when Grant Wilson left, I know there's a lot of controversy that's always surrounded him with him being accused of faking evidence a lot. But when he left, I really thought, that's it, the show's going downhill. And I didn't even think I was going to watch it anymore. And uh, <clears throat> I still DVR it. And I still I, I don't watch it when it comes on anymore. I 
now watch it later on when I don't have anything else to do. So my, my diehard fandom has kind of gone downhill, even though I still do watch it. Um, but I thought, uh, this show's just not going to be the same. But actually, it's it's getting a little better. And it's not because Grant Wilson is gone. It's not because he, he left the show. It's because that they've had to change the way that they do things because he did leave. So I think that the potential for the show to get back to its roots is always there. I wish they would. Um, I would have to say that I can't give it a five out of five. If you had asked me this about three or four years ago, I probably would have given it a five out of five. But because the production value, well, not the production value, because the production value has always been great, but because of the repetitiveness of how things are going with this TV series, I have to give it a four out of five stars. And that's only because they're getting a little bit more repetitive. Now, I uh, own all the seasons of uh, Ghost Hunters um, all the way through, I think it's season six. And that's when I started to lose interest a little bit. And uh, I haven't collected any TV DVDs of that. I haven't any DVDs of the series since then. And what really started pissing me off about the way they started doing the oh, there's my creepy clock. What really st- pissed me off about the way they started doing the the DVD series was that used to you could buy the whole series, the whole season, in one DVD set, and then they started splitting it into two. Now you have you know season four part one and season four part two and you had to buy two separate dvd sets that cost the exact same amount as if you would have bought the whole thing you know each individual set cost as much as the first three seasons that you bought all the seasons together it's just stupid it's turning into a money a big time money making scheme uh now i will have to say you know uh jason and grant have made and continued to make a lot of money off of this venture and I don't blame them one single bit for milking all the money that they can get out of this while it's good because this is only going to last for so long the cycle right now for paranormal themed TV shows is still good but it's switching away from ghost hunting if you will and you know how much I hate that term but it's switching away from that going more towards uh, cryptozoology Right now, that seems to be big time on the upswing. And, of course, Ghost Hunters TV show doesn't deal with any of that. But this this whole paranormal-themed television is only going to last for so long. It's cyclical. You know, back in the 70s, uh, when Leonard Nimoy was um, um, the host, if you will, the narrator of In Search Of, there's a little bit of a, of a surgence in television shows like that and it lasted for a few years went away came back kind of uh in the mid 80s except instead of reality shows because they didn't exist then it was uh more paranormal themed 30 minute vignettes like uh, tales from the dark side if you remember that show um and stuff like that that had to do uh uh tales from the crypt as well uh, you know, stuff that had to do with that type of, of storytelling. And then it kind of, it, it went away and stayed gone for a long time up 
right up until around 2004 when Ghost Hunters came out on the Sci-Fi Channel. And now for the last 10 years, which is probably the, the longest run that the paranormal has had in mainstream media, but for 10 years and still going pretty damn strong, you've got this huge interest in the paranormal. And now everybody wants to be a paranormal investigator. You know, when I started originally doing Parareality Radio, it was back in 2004, right when the Ghost Hunters TV show came out. Actually, I had started it before, um, but I didn't move to Live 365 until uh, after the Ghost Hunters TV show came out. And um, I've been doing my show ever since. I did take a two-year hiatus, a little break there, because I, I needed to. But, you know, I've been doing this for you might as well say 10 years now broadcasting and um, in some shape, form, or fashion. And that's a lot longer than what a lot of other people have been doing who get into Internet broadcasting. Because let's face it, every any, anyone and everyone can have their own Internet show, right? Uh, you don't have to be a super genius to do it. All you got to have is an Internet, a computer, and a microphone, and that's pretty much it. And, of course, you got to have a little money and a way to get it out there, but that's secondary, right? And everybody thinks that they can do it. But once they get into it and start seeing how much work it's, you really need to put into it to make a good quality show, it starts losing interest and people start falling by the wayside. Um, I'm just going to toot my own horn, and I'm going to continue to do it. Look at the quality of the production value of this show versus some of the other shows. I'm 90% of the other paranormal talk radio shows that are out there on the internet, and you'll see how much better the production quality is in this show versus the others. I spent a lot of time and effort and money sinking it into this, and it shows in the end, and that's why I've won some awards. So, you know, I don't know what else to say on that issue other than uh, you get out of it what you put into it. And if you're not going to have the time to do it, regardless of how much money you have and how much equipment you buy, if you're not going to have the time to put into it, if you're not willing to make the time to put into it, then you still don't need to be doing it. So I kind of got off topic there, a little on a tangent. Sorry about that. You know I tend to do that every once in a while. So in conclusion on my uh, review of Ghost Hunters, it's a good show. It's not a great show. used to be a really good show. It's gone down in quality some over the years because of repetitiveness, the way that they're focusing on, on just famous and public places. Um, but it's still a good quality show. It's still got great production value, and there's still life left in it. I don't know how much longer, and I think that Jason Hawes can kind of sense that the end may be nearing, and I don't blame him for milking everything he can out of this because this is, you know, he can probably pretty much retire off of what he's made off of this and not have to really work hard for the rest of his life. The, the production value is still there. They've got a good, solid cast for the time being, even though I don't like all of them. Um, so I'm going to give it the four 
out of five stars, as I said earlier. And that's only because that uh, I think the show quality has gone down some. Could be better. They need to get back to their roots, and I think that they'll you'll, they'll find that um, they're going to get some new fans and maybe retain some of the old fans like me. And that is my final review for the Paranormal Review, Ghost Hunters on the Sci-Fi Channel. I'm going to take another quick little break, and I'll be back in a couple of minutes. And uh, I'm going to tell you about some upcoming changes that's going to happen for Parareality Radio in Season 9, what you can expect, some uh, few little announcements, just little teasers, stuff like that. And uh, I'm going to let you listen to a little bit of music. This is Earl, the man known as Earl with White Christmas. I'll be back in a little bit. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know Where the treetops glisten And children listen To hear sleigh bells in the I'm dreaming of a white Christmas With every Christmas card I write May your days be merry and bright I'm dreaming of a white Christmas With every Christmas card I write May your days be merry and bright Tis the season, fa la 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 la. Happy holidays! Hello, everybody. This is Sandman. I want to thank you for listening 
to Parareality Radio, and I'd like to invite you to check out my side project. It's called Set It Off. It's a half-hour-long show where I vent my frustrations about anything from politics, religion, pop culture, and celebrities, to rude people, stupid people, or that guy who drives too slow in the fast lane. It can be just about anything that, well, sets me off. It can only be heard on Spreaker and on Facebook. Just go to Spreaker.com and search for Set It Off. Or listen to it on my Facebook page, which is Sandman.Parareality. There's no set schedule for the show because it's completely random. So check for new episodes often. Remember, it's called Set It Off, and you never know what I'm going to say next. You are listening to Para-Reality Radio, the award-winning radio program that explores ghosts, UFOs, cryptozoology, and strange phenomena of all kinds. Broadcast on the first Monday of every month from Nashville, Tennessee, join your host, Sandman, on a quest to discover the hidden mysteries that surround us all. Listen to current and past shows at parareality.com. Call the studio at 615-692-1170. Email the show at sandman at parareality.com. Turn on. Tune in. Find out. All right, I'm back to wind down the final half hour of this season finale, season eight finale of Parareality Radio. And uh going to just kind of end it with a, I guess, a look ahead at what's in store here on Parareality Radio for season nine. Make just a couple of announcements and uh, leave it at that, I guess. Um <clears throat> Let me get a little something to drink here. Throat's always dry, you know that. So, a couple of announcements to start off with. First of all, <clears throat> I am uh, pleased to announce that the air date for Pair Reality Radio has been um, is going to be moved um, for the last uh, couple of years or so. You could uh, listen to the new episode every the first Monday of every month at 8 o'clock p.m. Central U.S. time. Well, I'm going to change the air date of the show. So beginning in January of 2015, the show will now be available on the first Friday of every month at 8 o'clock p.m. Central U.S. time. So we're moving from the first Monday of every month to the first Friday of every month at 8 o'clock p.m. Central U.S. time. That's going to hopefully uh, accommodate a little bit more of you listeners. Now, I know that uh, the show is podcasted and it's available on demand basically at any time, but uh, I I just felt like um, it was a better move for the show to go to Fridays instead of Mondays. 
also traditionally in the past this was a live radio broadcast and uh you know that i took a a little break for a couple of years from doing the show um i needed it um life was uh, getting very hectic something had to go i had to give up something i was doing a lot and uh Unfortunately, even though the show's my baby and I love it, I love doing what I what I do here with the show. It uh, it had to had to take a back seat. So I retired from broadcasting for a little while. I actually thought it was for good. That's why I say retired. Um, but that only lasted about two and a half years or so. And uh, when I brought the show back, it was has been on a much smaller scale. Instead of being a live radio broadcast, it has been a podcast, and I have relegated myself to only doing one episode a month, which is actually working out quite well. Um, I would like to be able to do more episodes, and I would like to be able to uh, get back into some live broadcasting here and there every so often. So... Next season, season nine of Periality Radio, I am going to be throwing in some live broadcasts here and there. It's not going to be every episode, but there are going to be some live broadcasts. And instead of doing uh, just one show a month, I will be throwing in just a few. Uh, it's still going to be the one show a month every Friday, the first Friday of every month, excuse me, um, at eight o'clock central time. But Every so often, I'm going to throw in uh, some extra shows here and there. may not be uh, two-hour-long shows. It may only be an hour. It may be 30 minutes. I don't know. Uh, but I am going to be adding some shows to the schedule here and there. There will be some special shows, um, mainly for the, the diehard fans. Uh, if there are any of you diehard fans even out there are still left over from uh, the Live 365 days. Um, but, um, just going to kind of be doing that just to, as a, as a test run to check out how, how the live shows are going to go, check out to see what kind of response I get to see if maybe I need to be doing more than one show a month, if there's demand there. Um, so I, I'm going to be doing here and there a few special shows that will be announced, um, on the website and on Facebook, uh, prior to the show airing. And it won't be like, oh gosh, you know, you're going to announce it and the show's going to air in, you know, an hour. It's not one of those last minute type deals. There'll be probably at least a week or so um, be between the time that I announce the uh, special episode and the time that it airs. So um, I'm going to try to garner up a little bit uh, more listenership that way. I've got a few... Um, really loyal listeners that are left over from the Live 365 days. And I've picked up a lot of new people uh, since I've been broadcasting with Spreaker. And so I'm hoping to um, continue to gain new listeners, new followers as often as I possibly can. And one of the ways I'm doing this is by trying to uh, change up when I'm going to do uh, the when I'm going to make the new shows available and I'm going to do some live broadcasting here and there. And that's really the main reason for moving the show from Monday to Friday is uh, because I am going to be doing some live broadcasts. Um, and 
what better way to have people participate than if, you know, they don't have to go to work, hopefully, the next day. So you can get someone to stay up a little bit later. And uh, I used to do the show at 10 o'clock at night. Um, I'm going to keep it at 8 because um, I think that's just a little bit better as far as uh, time frames go all over the the United States um, and possibly even the world, since this is a worldwide broadcast here. So a um, couple of changes coming to the show. And as I've already stated earlier, I'm going to be uh, doing away with the paranormal review for reasons that I'm not going to hash out again because I just did that a little bit ago. So I'm, I'm going to be replacing that segment with something different. I don't know what yet. I've got a little time to think about it and to work it up before I, I get the Season 9 kick started. So I don't know exactly what that's going to be. So I'll tell you what, if you've got any suggestions as to what you would like to see the closing segment for the show be, shoot me an email or uh, hit me up on Facebook. Let me know. Sandman at Parareality com is my email address and you can look me up on Facebook sandman.parareality there on Facebook let me know what you think the new closing segment could uh, should be if you've got any ideas um, in prior incarnations of the show I've done uh, uh, what I called news of the strange where I focused on some uh, well weird news strange news and uh, paranormal type stories um, I may or may not bring that back. I don't know. Um, I'm always looking to do something a little bit different. That's why when I, when I brought the show back, I started doing, uh, different things and, uh, wound up doing the paranormal review here this last year. Um, yeah, want to change it up again and see if there's something else, some sort of other segment that I can add to the show. Heck, you know what? If, uh, you are an aspiring paranormal broadcaster, um, or maybe you just want to have some fun and you'd like to do some sort of, uh, 20, 15 to 20 minute segment on some sort of paranormal topic every episode. Let me know. Maybe we can work something out. You're not going to make any money at this cause I damn sure don't. So I'm not going to pay you. <laughs> I can't afford to. So this is going to have to be all pro bono here. You're going to have to do it for free. But hell, if you're a, uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you are an aspiring paranormal broadcaster and you have a computer and a microphone and a ability to record a, a wave or an MP3 file and send it to me, hit me up. Let me know. Sandman at parareality.com or sandman.parareality on Facebook. Let's talk. That's hey, I just had that just popped into my head. Sounds pretty good. I don't know. Maybe it's a horrible idea. We'll see. I probably won't get any listener or any uh, um, takers on this offer, but uh, who knows? You know, can't hurt. All you can do is try, right? So there's my couple of my big announcements for the show, and uh, I'm bringing back the end of the year contest. I I did that uh, when I was broadcasting on Live 365, and I, I haven't done an end of the year contest since I started back from podcasting. So I am bringing this season, I am bringing back the annual end of the year contest. And I'm also going to be posting this on my face, <clears throat> excuse me, on my Facebook and my website here. As you are hearing this 
podcast, this will be on the website and on my Facebook page. So it'll be sandman.parareality on Facebook and parareality.com for the website. So here is the end of the year contest for Parareality Radio. I'm looking for your best paranormal picture. It can be a picture of an orb, uh, of a ghostly apparition, some unexplained object. Whatever you have, whatever your best paranormal photograph is, you let me know, send it to me in a JPEG file or something that I can view on my computer. And I want you to send it to the following address. Okay, are you ready? It's prradio at 50g.com. Send your emails to prradio at 50g.com or post them on my Facebook page, sandman.parareality. And when you post them on my Facebook page, include in your post contest entry picture. Okay? So there are two ways that you can get these pictures to me. First one is to send it email form, prradio at 50g.com in a JPEG or something that I can view on my computer. And in the heading of your subject on the email, put contest entry, please. So contest entry on the heading, email it to p radio at 50g.com your best paranormal photograph or load it up on a Facebook my Facebook page sandman.parareality put in your Facebook post contest entry and post it there on my wall on my Facebook page let me see it you have until December the 20th to get all of this in. That's December the 20th. That's 20 days. Should be plenty enough time to get this in. And that will give me 10 days to look at all the pictures and stuff and make the announcement. And when the new show airs, the first airing of Season 9, I will announce the contest winner for Season 8. Now, I bet you're thinking to yourself, oh boy, I can't wait. What in the hell am I going to win if I win this thing? Well, I'm glad that you asked that. Here's what you're going to win whenever you win it. That sounded stupid. Okay. <laughs> here's what here's the prize package, okay? You're going to win um a limited edition para reality radio mug. I know. That's great stuff in it. A limited edition Parareality Radio mug. You're going to get your own Parareality Radio shirt. The official Parareality Radio shirt. A Parareality official 2015 wall calendar. And the, uh, the piece de resistance is an autographed copy of Isaac Weishoff's book, A Grand Unified Conspiracy Theory. If you remember, Isaac was a guest on the show, um, what was it, uh, a couple of months ago. And um, 
he was generous enough to give me an autographed copy of his book, A Grand Unified Conspiracy Theory. He is uh, a conspiracy theorist, obviously, runs the website IlluminatiWatcher.com. Um, I've read the book. It is um, it's a it it's it's a it's a good read. You're gonna have to uh, follow it really closely, and there may be some things that you're gonna have to read more than one time. But it is a very good read, especially if you're interested interested in conspiracy theories, or if you're just a beginner and aren't really too sure about how this whole conspiracy theory thing works. This is kind of like a beginner's guide to conspiracy theory in the entertainment and pop culture world. I'm not talking, it's not a grand um, overview of everything in the whole entire world, even though he calls it a grand unified conspiracy theory. His specialty is more in the, the pop culture and entertainment areas. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but uh, it's a very good read. I've read it. Um, that's the the prize package, so you're going to get a limited edition Parareality Radio mug, your very own official Parareality Radio t-shirt, your official Parareality Radio wall calendar and an autographed copy of Isaac Weishaupt's book A Grand Unified Conspiracy Theory. So that's a pretty cool prize package and I can't wait to see what kind of submissions I'm going to have into the contest. Good luck for all of you who are looking to enter and win. And I'm going to tell you uh, these Photographs, these paranormal photographs, are going to be reviewed by not just me, but a committee. And the people that are going to be on this committee that are reviewing these photographs are experts in the paranormal field. Don't try to send some doctored up bullshit picture, okay? Because we will be able to determine if that is real or fake, Okay, so we want genuine pictures, whatever it is, an orb, a mist, a shadowy figure, a cryptozoological figure or something. If you think you got a picture of Bigfoot or something like that, whatever your best paranormal photograph is, your best unexplained photograph, send it in with the subject heading contest entry to prradio at 50g.com or post it on my Facebook page, sandman.parareality, with contest entry included in your somewhere in your post. So that contest is open all the way up until December the 20th, 2014. Any entries received after midnight, December 20th, 2014, or should I say any, any entries that are received on December 21st and after. So that goes all the way up to 1159.59 on December 20th. Anything after that, null and void, you're not going to be considered to be entered into the contest. So good luck for all of you who are listening and who want to enter and win this fabulous, glorious, best prize package in the world. <laughs> good luck and thanks for your entries. All right, only have just a little bit longer to wind down the show. Uh, uh, so what, what's, a, what's a look ahead here for Season 9 for Parareality Radio? 
Well, one of the things besides changing the date that the show is going to air and uh, doing some live shows here and there, one of the things that's that's um, that's going to change is uh, well, not necessarily. Well, yeah, I guess it is a change. Is uh, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to break down and probably get a Twitter account. So for those of you who want to follow Perialty Radio on Twitter. Um, be looking sometime in 2015 for me to make the announcement of when I'm going to open up my Twitter account. Um, as always, you know, I'm always trying to look for ways to, um, get more exposure from a little radio show here. And I'm thinking about opening a Twitter account. Got to look into a few things, see if it's really going to be worth it. But, uh, I'm going to be making that announcement, uh, in the first broadcast of 2015, which is going to be on, uh, January the 3rd, I believe is when this is. Yeah, I believe that's when it's going to be. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, what, what are some of the topics that we're going to talk about? Well, I'm going to look into a lot of government stuff this season. I'm kind of getting into, um, I'm not, I'm not so you you know that I like to do stuff about chemtrails. I'm a big chemtrail conspiracy theorist. Um, I'm going to look into some some more government cover-ups and some more government conspiracy theories this season. I'm going to be looking into some of the uh, CIA's declassified UFO tri, uh, UFO files. Going to be re- revisiting the subject of Tim chemtrails. We're going to be talking about a couple of projects called a Project Aquarius. And another one called AUTEC, A-U-T-E-C, and I'm not going to, which is another government, secret government project there. I'm not going to um, elaborate a lot on the AUTEC. I'm just going to kind of leave that like it is. And um, I'm bringing back Skeptics Night in April. I've already got a guest booked for Skeptics Night. If you remember uh, last April, I had um, John Harrison, who is a... Uh, well, a super genius and a scientist who uh, came on the show, and we had some really good debates. Um, he's a skeptic, and we had a really good debate uh, about uh, the paranormal versus um, logical, reasonable stuff. And that's actually been one of the most popular episodes of Perreality Radio 4, Season 8. So I have invited him to come back again in April. Uh, it'll be a year. And uh, he readily accepted. Um, he's always looking for a good debate. He had a lot of fun on the show. And uh, we're going to come back, and you know, he's going to come back, and we're going to debate some more stuff, and we're going to have some more insights from a scientific mind and a bona fide skeptic. So those are just a few of the things that I've got lined up for next season. I'm not going to tell you everything that i got going on. I mean... I don't want to give too much away. you got to have something to look forward to, right? So those are all the things that are going to happen with the new season of Perreality Radio. And I actually, there's one more big thing that I've got in the works that's going to happen, but it's not going to be until the summer. It's not going to happen until probably June. So we're looking at six months from now, and this is not a set-in-stone, done deal yet, but I'm about 80% sure that this is going to happen. So I'm not going to make, you know, the announcement. I'm just going to tease you with it a little bit, but there are going to be some big changes. I hope 
coming to Parareality Radio in June of 2015. And I really can't wait to tell you all about these things and tell you what's going to happen. And I'll be able to let you know more about it the closer the time gets. But it's going to be what I think positive changes for the show. I'm also going to be uh, revamping the Periality website some. I'm going to be working on that. Um, it probably won't be for a couple of months, but uh, for the, the 2015 season, there's going to be some changes to the website, going to update the look of the website and uh, add a few things here and there. So uh, hopefully the website will be better. You know, and this I think it's pretty user-friendly right now. This is this kind of a no-frills website. Um, there's not a lot of uh, bells and whistles, as they say, that that's on there. And I... I I keep it that way for a reason because I like for when you go to my website, you're going there, number one, first and foremost, so you can listen to the damn show, right? But if you're going to look around the website, if you're going to read about the show or read about me or try to listen to some of the uh, archives or whatever, uh, it needs to be simple. And that's kind of what I have done is kept it simple. There's not a lot of busy stuff unless you go to the extras tab, which is the very last page on the website where I've got pictures of all the, you know, the awards and stuff that I have won over the years. Uh, there's links to the forum and to the Periality Radio store. Uh, and there's also the uh, video links that I have up there every so often. And of course, there's always the, the video link to the dismal failure that was Periality TV that I did for a little while, um, which... God, if you've seen any episodes of that, I certainly apologize for how that turned out. That's what you get when you try to do that uh, one-man show. It's easier to do radio one-man than it is to do television one-man, let me tell you. Because uh, that sure as shit didn't work out like I wanted it to. And um, I still owe three episodes in my contract. So I've got to... Um, before something bad happens, I got to figure out how I can do three more video episodes. Uh, I believe it's three more, or I can do three more episodes of uh, Periality TV. So, um, if you got any ideas, hell, maybe you, if you live in the Nashville area, <laughs> the Nashville, Tennessee area, and uh, you want to have some fun and help me shoot three horrible episodes of a webisode, web series called Periality TV, um, let me know. I need a camera guy and Maybe a sound guy. Hell, if you got some sort of location, uh, some sort of haunted location or something like that here in the Nashville, Tennessee area or close to it, let me know. Maybe I can come out and uh, film one or, hell, all of my last episodes of Periality there at your location. It's just a 30-minute episode, 30-minute webisode, I guess would be the more appropriate thing. So, um, yeah, let me know. Wow, that's about everything that I got for you. So I've got some uh, big changes coming up for the show here in Season 9. A lot of things in the works, and I hope that those of you who have been uh, lifelong fan or longtime fans of the show continue to listen. And for those new fans of the show, I hope that you continue to listen as well, and maybe I can pick up some new fans along the way. I certainly hope that you enjoyed tonight's show. Let me know what you thought about it. By sending me an email, sandman at parareality.com.
com. That's Sandman at Parareality.com. Also, please remember to visit the website. Look around there. That's where you can find out all kinds of information about the show. They're on www.parareality.com. You can listen to current and past episodes there. And if you click on the Extras tab that I was talking about just a little while ago, you can join the official Parareality Radio Forum. It's free to join and post. Don't send out any spam or anything like that. You can shop in the Parareality Radio store, watch some show videos and other stuff like that. Also, don't forget to look me up on Facebook. That's Sandman.Parareality there on Facebook. And you can also listen to the show there as well. And that's where you can also find out a lot more about what's going on in the world of Parareality and myself, Sandman. So that about does it for the Season 8 finale of Parareality Radio. My next show is going to be available on Friday, January the 2nd, not the 3rd, but the 2nd. Friday, January the 2nd, 2015, I'm going to be counting down my top 10 unsolved mysteries. The top 10 unsolved mysteries of all time, according to me, Sandman. So make sure you turn on, tune in, and find out. Everybody, I hope that this radio program opens your minds up to new ways of thinking, expands your consciousness, and produces a change in the way you see the world. If you wish to change, you must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. Hope you have a wonderful evening. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I will see you again next year for the Season 9 of Parareality Radio. going to leave you with the other annual Christmas song that we always play here in Periality Radio. This is Black Label Society with Doomsday Jesus. I'm out. Mm-hmm.